Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful Northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we put on every single Sunday to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world today, what you need to pay attention to, and how to break through all of the lies and propaganda, of which there's, uh, there's a lot. There always seems to be more. Um, which is always shocking, but there is a lot. Now, number one, the first big thing that I need to bring up is Army beat Navy. Well, just Oh, you know. yeah, that's exciting. I mean, so neither you nor I were officers nor academy boys. We were enlisted. So it's not, we don't care that much. But it's a fun thing. True. The little service rivalry is always a lot of fun. And it's kind of a, you know. Now that I'm now that I'm out, there's plenty of people I know that are you know big Navy fans. So it's it's the one game that I get to feel like I get to poke people for, but it's more of just an excuse for us to just kind of laugh and you know point out service stuff and then tell funny stories. But I do like bringing it up. I do like pointing it out because eh, why not, right? But of course, a lot of stuff to get to today. A lot of things that we have to parse through and get people to really truly understand what's happening. And I think it's fascinating. And so I'm going to do this backward from how I would normally prep a show <clears throat> and come right out the gate with the latest dump of the Twitter files. And the reason why I want to do that is because when we take a look at what is being released, a lot of stories start to make sense. And by that, I mean, Reactions that we saw over Elon Musk taking over Twitter, the absolute psychopathy that we saw in the media and from Twitter employees when Elon Musk started taking over Twitter, and the subsequent investigations into every company that seems to be owned by Elon Musk magically happening by the Department of Justice uh, just happened to line up with this takeover of Twitter. And it all appears to line up to they knew that he was going to release all of the bad information of what Twitter executives, the United States government, the Democrat Party were all involved with when it comes to speech. At the end of the day, there was a massive hunger and gigantic effort by all by those three parties, the media, the government, and the Democrat Party to suppress certain people's speech. But not even, I don't even know if it's probably, like, I get it, yes, they were targeting conservatives. That is a true statement. But I don't know if we can, if it's actually fully correct to say that they were suppressing conservatives' speech. They were compressing, or no, suppressing, I'm sorry. They were suppressing the information that was available to all Americans, all while bleeding about democracy. Yeah. So they were basically putting their thumb on the scales of 
not free necessarily just free speech, but on the public communications of Americans, of the, you know, like speaker's corner, how people got information, how people shared ideas, that whole litany of things, they were manipulating consciously from the top down so that certain ideas would be amplified and other ideas would be suppressed. Right. And in some ways, you, you can take a look at something like this and like we all, I think the most shocking thing for me was you and I would consistently for years, we're like, look, this has to be happening. We're seeing evidence of it. You know, only certain people are being banned, people who say the same things. There's been literally entire accounts that have gone viral on social media whose entire job it is just to show um, that juxtaposition. Oh, interesting. Look at this guy who got banned for this, but then here's this liberal saying a thousand times worse, but is somehow still in existence or, you know, what have you. So right. we've been, we've known it's going on. We've reported it consistently throughout the years. We always talked about it. There was always that little bit of our, in, in the back of our heads that was like, you know, if we were ever able to look under the hood, we would have to use at least a good amount of inference to point out how these people were doing it. And it's going to be difficult because, I mean, they're going to be smart about this. They're not going to make it super obvious. Right. Then we start reading through these emails and the Slack messages and things like that that were existing at the company um, that have now since been released. And it's like, oh, no, you can't even say that these people were ideologically driven and they weren't, you know, they they kind of thought that what they were doing was right and this and no, they a hundred percent heading into the 2020 election. There were conversations among executives and people within the trust and safety um, uh, vertical of Twitter that were clearly stating we need to be able like we need to stifle the reach of Donald Trump and conservative accounts because we can't let them win an election. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's as clear as day. Like they had an intent. And then well, they had you... an intent and they also bureaucratized it in a way that is especially unseemly. It's not that Twitter did this just in a vacuum. It's that they were they were shadow banning accounts. They were preventing the flow of information. They were actively working to suppress certain ideas at the top company level to the point where they had an actual interface where on accounts it would show the this is the shadow ban status of this account. Do not take action on this account without consulting this level of executive. This was not done at some sort of lowest level by just a couple bad eggs. This was done with full knowledge of the Twitter staff, of Twitter engineers, of the whole company. They're all effectively guilty. Yeah, they developed a process. They made it systemic and repeatable. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and that makes it all the more unseemly. Well, and, and let's not forget that the entire time they told Congress... They told Congress, they told the media, they told their own users that they didn't do this, that this wasn't right. a thing. So not only do we see them doing it, creating a process to do it, they like they had a, a playbook, a, a standard operating procedure on how to do these things. 
But then they turned around and they told everybody that they, oh, we we don't do that. Jack Dorsey said both on media and in Congress, we don't shadow ban. We don't suppress information. We don't do those things. But there's no way that it wasn't obvious to any of those people. It wasn't like, oh, it's happening, but we just had no idea. Like, no, it you you had a process for it. You yeah. had a way to you literally had accounts that were marked that were not not ever allowed to trend. You had subject, which means that there were also subjects that weren't allowed to trend. That's the part exactly. we haven't seen yet. We've seen some of the real big, you know, actors that were targeted for this, but you need to understand that there were thousands. It was just a tag. Right. It it was a tag that was added on the back end of Twitter to an account. So they would pull up an account and that account would have several different tags attached to it, which is a normal process. But the way that they would have programmed the reaction to some of those tags is that that's where the malice exists. And so it's super easy for a new account to come up, get really super popular and somebody to just go in and type like go into the accounts on the back end of Twitter and just type in whatever little, you know, reference they need to shadow ban, to suppress, to keep from trending. They can do the same thing for subjects. Right. And it's, it's just a little string of code. This, this isn't difficult. And also, I mean, it goes without saying, and I don't, I don't think our audience needs to hear this, but understand how much communication was occurring between all of the social media companies. We're talking about Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any of these other social media companies have the same practices, have the same discussions. Because remember, everybody banned Trump at the same time. Right. And which is important to which is mm -hmm. important to remember. They all did it at the same time. And it the, the coordinated nature of it can't be understated. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> when reviewing the latest dump where they talk about getting rid of Trump, when they talk about like the January 8th, like final suspension and kicking of Trump off of Twitter, it becomes obvious that they were, it, it was a man in search of a crime. Right. Definitely. They were like, looking for a reason to do it. They found that reason can very conveniently after January 6th. And the rest is history. And and in in coordination, like we we saw coordination with the FBI. Because remember, last week when we talked about these things, some of the quote true conservatives were all saying that well, Twitter's a private company. Twitter's a private company. You guys can be as mad as you want, but Twitter's a private company. Not when not when the head of trust and safety is having direct conversations with the FBI. Right. Like, is it a private company then? Yeah. It's clearly not that private of a company if they're able to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Typically, typically private companies don't sit around and have weekly conversations with the FBI. And then, by the way, the, the reason why I know we already brought up that they were talking to the FBI, there might be times that that's legitimate, but not Maybe. when you have Yoel Roth bragging about it to other people right. while talking about suspending certain accounts. Mm -hmm. like you're getting a nod right. from the federal government to do something. 
And I think people very rightfully get upset with that. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is, we didn't prep this really at all, is what now? And it doesn't have to be something massive, but like what now? Basically, all of our all of our fears have been justified. Not only were they justified, but it's not even by inference. It is we can show direct malice. These people did not want Americans to know certain pieces of information. And I mean this, I'm not trying to be um I'm I'm not trying to be facetious here. When we all acknowledge that the term misinformation and disinformation is is bullshit. It's not that those things don't exist. We've all come across situations like it, but it is nowhere near as pervasive as people want to pretend, these people in big tech want to pretend. But at the same time, they use it as an excuse to just silence you, especially coming out of things like COVID and even some of the Ukraine stuff, just basically whatever the current thing has been for the last few years. Yeah, We know for a fact we can sit there and say, well, misinformation and disinformation is just a BS term that's used by liberals to silence things they don't like because consistently those ta- those labels and tags <clears throat> have been applied to certain subjects that they don't want people to talk about that turn to be true. That's the whole meme of, you know, the conspiracy theorists have sure have been more accurate than the scientists, you know, and things like that. Yeah. So, like... There were things they didn't want Americans to talk about. You you saw a really great example, you know, using the speaker's corner as an example. Um, you saw a really great analogy to exactly what was going on at Twitter. Do you remember that, Alan? Was it the analogy of speaker's corner? That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so basically you have speaker's corner where there's this area set aside for people to speak freely and share ideas. And essentially what was, and that, and Twitter is a virtual speaker's corner of the, of well, a lot of it is, a, you could say, of the world, but especially of the United States. And in this virtual speaker's corner, because it, the same things that were happening at Twitter are probably also happening on Facebook and any other platform that is trying to present itself as a social media type business. But Twitter and Facebook are the most popular, and we'll use those. What was happening at Twitter is almost certainly happening at Facebook as well. In the virtual speaker's corner, it was not a free flow of ideas because the government in coordination with the platform that ran speaker's corner it was essentially barring who could speak shouting down the people that were speaking and sending their own misinformation agents to muddy the waters of acceptable of of the discourse so at while at the same time lying to everyone including the American people and anyone trying to change that system about what was going on. It was a concerted effort between liberal activists at Twitter and the Democrat Party to to try and shift the conversation and worldview of the American people into out of reality and into a fiction that benefited that political alignment. Right. And and it, it it's like I said, like I, I can't impress enough on on everyone that it's like 
there was always that little bit of me that was like, this, this might be really hard to prove like to an average liberal. Let me, let me explain it that way. Like proving to this audience, not really, we've all seen it. We've all kind of lived it. A lot of us have had stuff just randomly banned or, you know, we've gone to Twitter jail or whatever, but like when you're talking to that Democrat friend of yours or whatever, you're like, this is going to be so hard to prove to them because it becomes that debate, right? There's, there's always that nuance that you have to deal with. Sure. That just simply didn't happen. And that is the most, the most shocking part is, well, and it also shows why the media is not covering any of this just so you're aware. So we're not talking about CNN, you know, CBS, ABC, NBC, like all of these media groups, they're not out there making excuses and trying to muddy the water with their information. They are literally not covering any of this information that's been put out. Much like the the Hunter Biden laptop story. Right. Their essentially plan is if we go dark with this story, people will not, the vast majority of people will not know that it exists and therefore they will not talk about it and it will not change their, the worldview that we want them to have. So you have a fear of people knowing what you're doing. You have a fear of people being able to find out well, you have a fear of people knowing what you're doing. You have a fear of people knowing why you're doing it. Then you have a fear of people finding out all that, like those two data points. And so their method, their method of taking care of it is we just can't let people know. That's a very, it's an interesting way to approach it because the media is in their, in their lack of reporting on this or discussion on this is basically clearly showing that they can't. It's impossible. When the media chooses not to cover a story with how how big of an activist media that we have in the United States, it makes it painfully obvious. And it should make it painfully obvious to people out there that they don't have an argument here. They know that they're screwed if this gets out to the right to the to their normies. Like when CNN is like, we're not going to talk about this. That is basically a subtle way of them saying we can't defend this even to our audience. Right. Think about it. Like it should be kind of easy. You would like to think that the media would be able to go out there and be like, well, all these Trumpers are just super upset about like them banning Trump. But Trump was a big baddie, bad man who led a coup. And so it was okay. And then all the liberals clapped. And then everybody talked about how brave and, and, and strong everybody was for doing it. But yes. they can't do that. Because fundamentally, regular Americans are going to see the communications that were occurring between these two, you know, between these Twitter executives, see that the government was involved see all the collusion and the stuff that they were saying. Um, The part that I keep referencing back to um, is it's the same thing as the DNC email leaks. Mm -hmm. It's the same reaction. Let's just not tell anybody. Let's just not say anything. You, one thing that's always going to stick with me is Jake Tapper on CNN in front of his audience saying, you can't read these emails. We can read them, but you're not allowed to. Jake yeah. Tapper told people when the DNC emails got leaked that it would be illegal 
for you, the regular American, to go read what was leaked by WikiLeaks. But it's okay because CNN was going to read them and tell you what was in them. Oh, thank God. It, it, it was astounding to hear someone say that. It was astounding to even like... Because remember, like there were plenty of times during, say, the Bush administration, for example, that there were actual classified leaks that they would openly talk about in newsrooms. Right. But then for some reason, the emails of, oh, by the way, did, did uh, I don't know if you guys heard David French's excuse for why all of this is okay. The DNC is a private entity, so they can't classify stuff. Right? Oh. I guess not. But then you have Jake Tapper. In you know 2016, saying you can't, don't go read the emails. It's in fact, in fact, it's illegal. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll tell you what's in them, and uh, you know, in a shock to nobody, there's nothing really there. There's no there there. It's a big nothing burger. They're using, they're actually using the exact same playbook. If you go on Twitter right now and search the word nothing burger, it's a bunch of liberals talking about the Twitter files. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm silly for, for noticing that or, or for whatever reason that having an effect, but like the amount of effort that is being put in by the left to try to convince their people, not us, but trying to convince their followers, their listeners, their whomever, that this is nothing, it's not even worth your time, that is very telling to me because Every single aspect of this points back to the fundamental fact that they knew what they were doing was wrong the entire time they were doing it. And that's yeah. just, that's so, that's such a, a large difference from the just kind of deranged liberal who listens to too much NPR and buys into the nonsense and propaganda and thinks that they're saving the world, you know, from the big bad evils of conservatives. That's a very different situation than, oh, yeah, if people ever saw this, they'd be super pissed. Even, like, liberals would be pissed. We got to hide it. Okay, so the entire time you knew what you were doing was shitty. The entire time you knew what you were doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's because you were actively suppressing an election. And they knew it. Right. And when we say actively suppressing an election, what I mean when I use that term in reference to the Twitter files here is that they were actively suppressing the information to voters in order for that those vo voters would come up with a different set of that, that, that the voters would have a different opinion than they would have if they saw all the information. The Hunter Biden laptop story is, I think, the best example of this where they intentionally manipulated voters so that there would not be the um so that people would at, would not have the proper information or make the proper decisions when voting or make decisions that made sense when they voted right well and and there were you know there was that there there's that poll that's now famous where uh, people were asked, like, if you knew about the Hunter laptop stuff, would you have potentially voted differently? And there's a large amount of people that were like, yeah, <laughs> like, like I would consider I would consider voting differently. Well, and <clears throat> because we're talking about this in a, in a more global impact, not just about Twitter, right? You know, 
we, we keep saying over and over that this, this is all of social media. All of social media is involved in these kinds of practices. But also remember, unlike Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg was very active in the 2020 election setting up drop boxes. He had that entire fund that was involved with, you know, the, the joke being the Zucker bucks. Right. And, and so we see this active because I, I imagine, I imagine that the emails that we're seeing coming out of Twitter and the direct messages and everything that show uh, that these people were actively and knowingly trying to suppress speech specifically to alter the outcome of an election in a, you know, representative republic like the United States. Um, I imagine that those are very similar conversations that were also happening at places like Facebook. The difference being, though, is Mark Zuckerberg was paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to cities and give they were he was literally financing and giving money to counties and cities to put up drop boxes for the 2020 election. So I think we can draw a pretty decent line here where a small group of elites were picking winners and losers when it comes to an election, attempting in every aspect that they possibly could to alter the outcome of that election or to, to uh, manipulate the outcome of that election all the while trying to tell people that democracy mattered and that the individual voice of somebody mattered and their human rights mattered and your civil rights matter the entire time. And I can't stress this point enough. You, the regular person out there, does not need to prove to any person that the actions of these executives at Twitter altered a single vote. You do not need to prove that. It is not incumbent on you to prove that those actions altered a single vote. It is the fact that they tried it and they knew it could. That is bad enough in a country that is supposed to be free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Because that's what's going to happen. The left is going to, when you start getting into these arguments, when this stuff kind of boils over where it's just too much to contain, that is what you're going to see is, well, you can't prove that any of this activity altered a single vote. Well, Twitter's just one site and it's not like it, you know, dominates what people talk about or this, that, or the other thing. And it's just, we need to get to a point where we we have the pride to be able to say, mm-hmm. I don't have to prove that. The fact that you were trying is bad enough. It's bad enough. Most definitely. Because like the fact it, that anybody wants to do this is already proves that you're not, we're not on the same page. If we're not on the same page about this, then we're not on the same page about a lot of things. And I don't want you in control of anything involving my country, my speech, anything that happens anywhere. I, you've basically, the fact that they wanted to do this and thought it was a good idea is not, it's not so much a reflection on the ideas themselves, because I certainly, anymore, I'm getting more and more, feel more and more likely that I do want to stop liberals from speaking because they clearly are a bunch of subversives that have nothing but ill intent toward me and my country. And that's what I think bothers me the most. 
is that people that are subversive, that hate my country, that hate me, that want to change everything, to pervert and subvert everything that I hold dear, the fact that those people have enough power to do this and that they are able to do it without being crushed by those around them. Mm -hmm. In fact, yeah. being oftentimes supported and egged on by those around them. That is what to me makes me want to tear all of these systems to the ground. That all of these people need to be rooted out of everywhere, shamed and possibly even exiled to some prison colony because that's the only way we will live in peace in the future. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, because think about it. No, I think no, th no. this gets to sort of the issue that uh, that I think I I think of at least occasionally is what is there? How how do we have a proper future where people are able to do things like Twitter has done, even if they're a quote private company? The fact that they want to do things like this with such malice towards l even half of the United States. That half of the United States has every reason to say these people are a threat and sh I do not feel comfortable having them with l allowing them to have any power at all. If my neighbor was sitting here aiming a anti-tank gun at my house, I wouldn't go, I need to engage him in a battle of ideas. I would go, he needs to be removed from the neighborhood because I will never be safe while he is plotting my destruction. Right. Well, and, and I think and, that's it. It's it's this is the intentional plotting to destroy the United States at levels of private companies in collusion with dim with political parties. It's it is the fact that there is a movement that is so counter to my nation that is so powerful within my nation that makes me want to leverage whatever power is necessary to stop these people out of self-preservation. So I'm glad that they were, I'm glad we found this out, but where else is the rot? Where else is all of this slowly festering in, in dark places that we don't yet see and notice? Well, and, and here's where it's going to get interesting, you know, and, and, um, we can, we can play this game a lot, but it, it there's a lot of reasons why. I think uh, we saw similar activities and in, in insanity when it came to this most recent midterms, which is it is obviously very popular for anybody who wants to um, and, and anybody on the right. It is very popular for any right wing politician, Republican politician to say, we're going to look deeper into what was going on at Twitter and social media. We're going to look deeper into how these people were manipulating speech. That is a, a, a not unpopular stance. You know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. a pretty, it's, it's an easy mode position to take. And so investigations are going to occur. Now the problem that you're going to run into, and I'm not trying to make anybody like depressed or sad about it. The problem that you're going to run into is ultimately it does come down to Joe Biden's DOJ. Except sure. there's only, in reality, a couple of years that Biden's GO DOJ matters. Right. And all this was happening under Trump's DOJ as well. Right. But it was one thing. It was extremely popular when Donald Trump coined the phrase or whomever coined the phrase and then Donald Trump amplified the phrase deep state, right? 
The sure. idea that there's a bunch of you know mid-level bureaucrats that are basically running the country and it doesn't matter who you vote in, um, which is, by the way, amazing because I actually had a conversation with somebody uh, recently who is a government employee. Uh, they're kind of in that sort of executive level and they were telling me that like they were basically going on the whole idea that like there's this seat, there's this middle mid-level management not the administrators who are picked by the, by the uh, new uh, by the different presidential administrations but the people below them and they're the ones that run the government they're the civil servants they're the heroes and i'm listening to this person make this glorious speech and patting themselves on the back and the entire time i'm just biting my tongue because i'm like yeah we call you the deep state and you're evil um and you're part of the problem because this lady was, for lack of a better way to say it, she was bragging about the fact that it doesn't matter what presidential administration is elected, they're going to keep doing what they do. In other words, Americans are told that you can go vote for change and your country right. should change. And she's literally saying, oh, yeah, but it really doesn't change because we work here. And isn't that great? We're the real heroes. And if I wasn't, you know, in mixed public at, a, at somebody's like housewarming party that I didn't want to, you know, cause a bunch of issues at, I wanted to really solidly ask the question and say, so you don't believe in democracy is what you're telling me. Because everything you're saying is anathema to it. Certainly. Now. The point I'm making here is there's going to be names attached to it. For example, there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of these emails uh, from like Twitter Trust and Safety talking about how they were talking to the FBI. Well, that's excellent. I'm so glad that you said that. Uh, I want to know what agents you were talking to, and then I would like a copy of the um, notes that those agents took. Who did you talk to? What did you talk about? Now, understand Congress has the ability to conduct that kind of oversight, whether or not they choose to do it or it's effectual, that is up for debate. And I understand. The point is, is that the Republicans are in control of the House. That gives them the opportunity, because it is not polit politically unpopular to do so, to look under the hood of what was going on and how people's speech was being um suppressed and it goes beyond the election and it goes beyond Donald Trump because where I think the Republicans would have a very serious win is COVID mm -hmm. because there's no think about it <clears throat> obviously there was a lot of in, in the Twitter files and the stuff you read you can you can tell that there's a little bit of like we got to be kind of careful about how we say this. We have to be a little careful about how we do this because this is going to be very unpopular, right? Would, would you right. agree with that, Alan, that they're, they're, they're kind of aware that this could be a big deal if it came out? Yeah, I definitely. bet that that same amount of concern didn't exist when it came to COVID. I bet that the ideological like um, programming, the brainwashing, I bet that that took over whole hog when it came to COVID. Um, I bet when we dive deeper and dig into it, there will be an incredible amount of messages that we will see from senior staff at Twitter to you know engineers and whomever that just 100% are like, nobody's allowed to talk about mask, mask efficacy. 
Like shut it down, silence it, get rid of it. Oh my God. Like these people are going to get people killed. Like, I don't care if that person's a doctor, shut them down. They're lying. They're probably lying. It's probably Russia. I don't know. People went literally batshit insane over COVID. Oh, most certainly. And actually, as we saw from the Twitter files, there was a huge amount of effort placed by Twitter in shadow banning, shutting down and limiting the reach of anyone that was doctor, doctor, government official, anyone that was saying things counter to the established narrative about COVID. Right. They were, and one of the ways that Twitter do, did this was, like I said, is they weren't overtly banning accounts. It was not overt censorship. It was all subtle behind the scenes, which was called, I mean, there's a lot of terms for it, but basically it was, we're going to nudge users away from scary misinformation. We're going to silo off those users that are speaking just misinformation and to prevent the spread of mis they treated misinformation quote misinformation like it was some sort of virus and they would quarantine off users so that they couldn't spread their evil vile virus thoughts mm -hmm. they couldn't spread their info hazards to the rest of our good innocent users and that this is how they and this is how they viewed it and in their internal documentation this is how they describe it uh when i uh in when I was getting my master's work, we actually did some some uh, classes on this, and there was a big effort inside the industry at the time of how do we stop misinformation? How do we stop the spread of all these terrible ideas that are all us just absolutely have to just be wrong because we've labeled them terrible ideas? They have to be wrong, and so we, how do we stop people from believing wrong things? Because if people believe wrong things, that causes real world problems. And so there's, there has been, over so the last, let's say, 10 years, this big increasing effort within a lot of tech companies, especially social media companies, on how to rein in and silo off thought viruses from infecting everybody else. Misinformation is going to hurt us, so how do we stop it? But they couldn't do it in a way that was overt. They had to do it subtly to make it so people didn't know what was going on. And that really betrays to me that they knew what they were doing was wrong. Otherwise, your company should be able to come out and say, the science on masks is so settled, we are officially going to ban anybody and we are going anybody that says that masks don't work and we will officially make it a policy that if you say these things, your account will be suspended and your tweets will be deleted. <sighs> they did not do that, which almost tells me they they saw value in keeping all of this hidden and secret. And if you're going to keep something hidden and secret, it to me seems like you have some sort of duplicitous nature that is recognize that what you're doing is not right. If you have to keep it a secret, you know it's not right, or you know it's going to cause a bigger problem, it will it will justifiably make people angry than being honest. What's what's amazing? Well, there, there's there's two aspects to it. And I, I um, this has to be pointed out, like regardless of how obvious it might be. What it does prove, and this is a consistent thing that that every conservative will bring up. It's it's something that our our I'm sure our listeners like will feel reverberate in their bones. Is they how stupid these people think regular Americans are? They think you're too stupid to be able 
Like this is fundamental. I need people to understand that. It is fundamental to these people, the belief that regular Americans are too stupid to be able to absorb information properly. That if you, the regular person out there, you regular flyover American, if you were given a pile of information to read, all of these people on the coast, the the media, the Democrat party, the people in the government and people in social media, all believe that if you were given all of the information, you would be too stupid to arrive at the proper conclusion. That is, that is how they view you as a human being. That is how these people view you. You are too ignorant and too stupid. Even if, if you were given every bit of information possible, you're too stupid to arrive at the proper conclusion. And, th- right. that, and, the, and that is they the believe only this way to not only that. about the, their political opponents, say the conservatives, the right, they believe this about people on the left as well. They believe this about everybody which is why they felt justified in having these sorts of rules that govern every interaction. They did, however, I think generally think our side would never, all everything our side says is right and true. Therefore, we don't need to put any effort on it. Therefore, we, we, are, we only need to suppress what the other side says. Mm-hmm. No, and that- But that's they exactly still believe, it. they still believe it. They, they, they still believe they're, they believe their own side is also vulnerable to this. If we allow all of these Russian agents to just pollute our minds with lies, then normal good people that would believe normal, wonderful, progressive things might start questioning the integrity of US elections. They might start wondering whether coronavirus came from the bioresearch lab or the wet market. They might start questioning whether putting a piece of fabric on your face is gonna stop this horrifying pandemic. And we can't allow them to question things. They need to just have blind obedience to the official narrative. Yeah, like, like, it's it is wild that one Mm -hmm. of the you have you have a fantastic analogy that you use for this. But thank you. um, It is amazing that one of the primary driving factors of liberalism in the United States is the idea like that and and these people are comfortable about it it's for the most part subconscious but it is that your fellow americans are stupid that half of america is literally dumb and ignorant and Mm -hmm. in a certain sense useless understand that that is a driving factor of liberalism in the united states is that you're smarter than all of those idiots. Right, and you're a better person. Yes, oh yeah. If there is an aristocracy, and then there is the filthy peasants, and all it requires to be in the aristocracy, to be one of the, the better enlightened people, is to just say and support things that the liberals say and support. It's that simple. You don't need to be a landowner. You don't need to be having a state. You don't need a hereditary title. Heck, you probably don't even need a job. You don't even need to put on <laughs> pants in the morning. All you, you need, need is just to repeat liberal talking points. And then you get to be in one of the enlightened class of intellectual aristocracies, er, uh, noble noblemen, 
not like those filthy peasants. And this is the way that they've tricked the majority of Americans into being and supporting liberal, quote, liberal ideas is mm -hmm. it's not about the validity of the ideas. It is an emotional appeal to your own personal vanity that you want to be a good person, don't you? You want to be a no, in the enlightened, smart class of people. Well, you should parrot liberal talking points because if you don't, then you'll be like the other half of the country, which are dumb, Bible-thumping, American Taliban, redneck idiots. So you better definitely not question election integrity. You better wear that mask. And that was the trick that they pulled. And that's how they've gotten so many people to believe these things, because it was an it's an emotional appeal, not a logical appeal. These people were never talked into, never, never reasoned into being liberals. They were mm -hmm. emotionally manipulated into being liberals and they don't even know it. They were, they were told it was a rational decision that they made when the reality was it was an emotional manipulation, which is why it is so hard to reason liberals out of it, which interestingly is almost why they don't even need to have all this censorship because the vast majority of people when encountering ideas that run against the liberal narrative will oftentimes self-censor and self and do it all themselves. So it's like, well, ooh, that's a, that argument uh, either totally shatters my worldview or is something I'm just going to completely ignore and pretend doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, but true enough, though. The bigger, I mean, the bigger issue is they didn't have, they would not have to do all of this if they were in the right. And that, to me, once I realized that was the biggest was a huge revelation and colored a lot of my thinking about the world and how they present these stories. Look at everything that they say is a lowbrow or dumb thing to believe. Mm -hmm. Only dumb. It, if, if you could be lampooned on Saturday Night Live for believing a thing, then that tells you exactly the things that they are trying to keep people from looking at. I, as a, this is somewhat off topic, but it is similar. Over the last couple years, I've become more and more interested in the ideas. Was there an ancient advanced civilization that really built the pyramids? Things like that. That's a whole body of body of work. Atlantis, etc. So and what you're saying is you're getting awesome. Okay. One <laughs> of the, the interesting things was recognizing the exact same people that are trying to push this nonsense liberal narrative about all the way the world works are the same people that also tell me that believing in Atlantis is stupid and only lowbrow dumb idiots believe that. And that carries through with a lot of things. And then you think, wait, why is it that I have to believe all that I'm supposed to believe all that I, I can't entertain any ideas about say, you know, the free market solving problems. It has to be, you know, the government and socialism. And I also can't entertain any ideas about Atlantis. It has to be, oh, nope, out of Africa theory, the uh, you know, civilization's only 3,000 years old. And it's, it's interesting because I, I mean, I don't, I'm not necessarily going to continue to make the case that, there, that Atlantis did absolutely exist. But when you see the efforts to paint ideas not as wrong, but as lowbrow and uh, dumb and dumb, that to me proves that it is not an argument that is being people are, are being reasoned out of. It's an argument that people are trying to avoid discussing. And it's the same as a lot of stuff with COVID, where 
Anyone that believes in ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, they're a dumb idiot who's eating horse paste. Right. That's not a logical or rational or even scientific argument against the effectiveness of these drugs. Mm -hmm. That is a emotional appeal to a to personal vanity that you do not want to. Basically, what the, all those things said was, if you if you entertain these ideas, you are putting yourself in the same camp as people who are ignorant and low status. You want to be high status, so you better refute those ideas. Uh, I guess that's the best way to maybe the best terminology to use is status signaling. Liberals are liberals because they want to signal that they are high status and they are and they care very much about that, which is why F efforts on like t on Twitter played exactly to that vanity. So, well, without going into the depth of what scares them so much over people like looking into weird stuff like Atlantis. Well, it, I don't actually. Know. We, we, we could it, easily There is do something. It. There's it something there. They don't want that. There is clearly an effort to detract from anybody being curious or anybody looking into the evidence for advanced ancient civilizations or Atlantis, whatever you want to call it. There clearly is a bias against entertaining any of those ideas. And it comes from the same people that want to have that want us to have a bias against entertaining any of the ideas that the COVID vaccines don't work or that COVID originated from a Chinese uh, bioweapons facility. It's like they, they want to make all of that low status just like Atlantis, which almost makes me, more than anything else, very curious as to what the hell is so threatening about thinking the pyramids were built by built 10,000 years ago instead of three. And it, wow. I mean, look at the, as a ton of other examples. We talked about this before. Anything that's called a conspiracy theory mm -hmm. has a very high chance of being something the liberal establishment is manipulating people into thinking, is manipulating people into considering low status. Right. And the question I have on all of that is why? And some things I don't necessarily have a good answer for. Why is it considered low status to want to, to wonder about UFOs? Why is it considered low status to believe in ghosts? It's considered low status to be a Christian, to be religious. Right. Why? Why did that? Why is there this effort among the liberal, let's say, intelligentsia, lib liberal activists, academics, etc.? They are constantly trying to paint this huge swath of things as low status, dumb things that only idiots believe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those things are verifiably true which makes me wonder about everything else that they say I shouldn't believe. Some of it, <clears throat> some of it certainly can be defined as it challenges their God. Certainly. Because yeah, sure. You, you normies questioning things like science and research papers. Well, that, that can't be, which is amazing right. given the amount of stuff um, yeah. within, you know, academia that we don't know. Right. And I think like, because a lot of the left relies on the we believe in science and reality and realism and they pride themselves on how much they are right, which means intrinsically true. And science, quote, science is a lot of it is about we this is intrinsically objectively true. Right. The problem is when that runs up against the reality of it is objectively true 
that there are a lot of granite objects in Egypt that are made to a level of precision beyond what the human eye can comprehend or what human senses can feel, clearly there was some, so, there's something unexplained with how these things were able to be achieved that science does not account for. How did they do this with bronze tools? You can't chisel granite with bronze tools. They had to have something else, but science gives us nothing because there's no other evidence. And anyway, it's, I think they are so hung up on the science because they use that as a cudgel to beat people into saying, this is why I'm right. This is why your religion is dumb because science, this is why we have to wear masks because science, it gives them a veneer of objectivity when the reality is they are not objective in any way. It's, it's a, it's basically, it's a way to hide behind quote objective science when really it is very much partisan and political. Yeah. Well, and, and what's, what's interesting is more and more, um, because of a lot of this stuff, we are seeing, uh, an incredible amount of information that continues to come out. Um, especially because there were several accounts like, uh, you know, Twitter kind of being the focal point of parts of the show here. There are a lot of accounts that were basically like released out of Twitter jail. Um, and we're seeing stories. We're seeing, you know, doctors, we're seeing journalists, we're seeing uh, even politicians that are now able to kind of tell their stories about like what really got them blocked, what really got them shut down. And it does go back to the fundamental concept of, of what I was talking about earlier, where you can point to something and say definitively that there's an active suppression of information by a small elite of people with the, sorry, buttressed uh, from the belief that Americans are too stupid to be allowed um, to objectively look at their own information. Like that is such an incredible and, and wild thought process. They, not that not that something's horrible, not that something's immoral or wrong. It's just no, we we can't let those idiots read this because then they might think it's true and I'm so smart, I don't think it's true. But this isn't by the way, this isn't based on something that can refute it. That's the yeah. Well, or let, let what, me let what me if, uh, mm -hmm. What if part of it is also and then they'll ask me and I'll have to waste my time debunking their stupid, duped opinions. It's like, oh, yeah. If, if we let people active, if, if we let people map all of these sites in Egypt and bring high precision measuring laser measuring equipment into these tombs, then they're going to come up with all these theories and I am going to have to deal with it. So we better just restrict access to all the sites and prevent any of the work from being done which they well, do do interestingly yeah. enough. And it's the same thing that we're seeing even with COVID. Like it's, it's, it's fun because we can connect all of those things, right? Like mm -hmm. it, the same playbook. I, I don't know how to not use that term constantly, but it's the same Great playbook. Term. And so when you start seeing that playbook enforced, and this is, um, you know, that, basically the handbook of the conspiracy theorist that wants to be correct 
is you open up the book and go, what's the thing I'm not allowed to say or yep. talk about? Yeah. And when somebody gives you that list, you go, okay, so these are the things that are most likely either true, valid, or just at a minimum, not something they want to, would be very uncomfortable for the left to discuss. Yeah. And it's exactly those things that I, I gravitate towards. It's like, if they don't want to discuss it, that means it's probably true. And they're probably hiding it at my peril. And if, you know, for, for people in the audience that, that kind of like twitch a little bit at that suggestion and think about some of the, the more, um, I would say hot button or more real fringy beliefs, uh, that, that could be defined by that, that, that definition, the stuff they don't want you to talk about that they get upset when you start discussing, just understand this. It's the left's fault that those things have appeal because if they didn't lie all the time, if they didn't cover up basic things like the efficacy of masks yeah, or even, even austere things like what Alan's talking about, like the, you know, when the pyramids were built, was there an ancient society, you know, sure. a, ancient uh, intelligent society? If they weren't doing it so often for such little things, then some of those larger fringe ideas wouldn't really get as much traction as they do because people would be like, oh, come on. Like I can prove to you that these people don't just lie about stuff. There's another reason why they get upset over to people talking about it. And it's probably violence or hate or whatever, except for the fact of all the times that the left does this. And it's not about any of those things. It's yeah. just that um, the problem is, is that there is a contingent and it is Primarily, it is primarily big tech and academia and media. They all get together, you know, think think about it as them getting together in a smoky room somewhere that looks like a James Bond villain's hideout. And they all discuss how stupid America is. Oh, Americans, they're so dumb. What are we going to do today to make sure these idiot Americans don't get stupid ideas? That is like yeah. fundamentally the belief that that's, I don't know how active actively they think about it but you hear your own liberal friends almost talk this way have you like i'm sure every member of our audience can recall some liberal they know that rolls their eyes and goes oh let me tell you about my stupid uncle who has these dumb QAnon beliefs and just like that it's less about them demeaning that you know uncle or whatever caricature they're making up for you Mm -hmm. And you're listening to them and it's them elevating themselves. Yeah. It's he's, it's not, he's so dumb. It's I'm so much smarter than him. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, and shifting gears a little bit from this, um, when it comes to virtue signaling and when it comes to information warfare and all of this, a very interesting, like kind of dropped in our lap this week um, that highlights a lot of these tactics was the Brittany Griner trade that happened. So yeah. for those of you who aren't caught up on it, Brittany Griner is the WNBA player who was playing basketball in Russia and got caught with a THC vape and was uh, put in jail uh, because she was she had possession of drugs. So she was put in jail and it became a very big deal and it was, you know, national headlines and all of this other discussion. Well, and the Biden administration uproar and gnashing of teeth. Yes. The Biden administration uh, organized a prisoner swap for um, 
Brittany Griner. And the prisoner swap uh, involved Victor, uh, what was his last name? I'm sorry. Uh, Victor Blout. Victor Blout. Um, Victor Blout, who was a massive Russian arms dealer uh, yeah. and, you know, has been identified by several human rights groups as basically, <laughs> you know, having gallons and gallons of blood on his hands. Um, right. But he was a Russian arms dealer. And that's who they traded for a WNBA star. But there's a lot more to the story. Yeah. And it gets, it actually shows um, how the Biden administration makes its decisions. And it is actually frightening how ignorant and bad at this the Biden administration actually is. But. Mm -hmm. A couple of things. One thing, one thing that I want to point out before we dive into the you know uh, sort of inside baseball aspect of some of this stuff is, if it were you or I, no one would even know you were there. Yeah, and no one would care. This is the prime example of how celebrities get treated like royalty in the United States. This is the same thing. As if some starlet crashed her Lamborghini into uh, a cafe somewhere because she was driving drunk and high, and then suddenly there's no charges. We've all seen those stories, and we all get infuriated about them, right? And this mm -hmm. isn't to exacerbate the Brittany Griner committed such a horrific crime. Like, no, it's not that. It's just that the reason why she got released is because she was made a celebrity. Not because no, there's zero other reason, because there is another American that's sitting in a Russian prison. His name's Paul Whelan, but nobody right. on the left cares about him. Mm -hmm. you, so, you could even say the administration doesn't care much about him. Oh, the administration absolutely doesn't care about him. And, I, and we'll explain why. Um, we'll explain like why Brittany Griner was made such a big deal. At, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll give kind of our, our summary or not summary, but our conclusion first, and then we'll work on the logic there. The Biden administration 100% got played by Russia in this. 100%. You just traded a an arms dealer who basically everyone in the world agreed was bad. Mm -hmm. Russia wasn't even making that much of an effort to get him back. Yeah. After he was put in jail. So what you're seeing here is the Biden administration had to go to Russia, hat in hand, and beg them to release Brittany Griner because they needed the win. Like, let's just, you know, just put it flat out there to, because they needed the win. Sure, some of it was obviously we don't want American citizens jailed in foreign countries you know, especially for the amount of time that they were doing for having a small amount of THC. We all understand that. But what we don't understand is why did you trade such a, such a massive personality for WNBA basketball player, Brittany Griner, that by the way, nobody had ever heard of before this happened. Yeah, that's, and I think to me, that's sort of one of the weirdest parts of all of this is mm -hmm. Brittany Griner, American football player who was basketball, who, 
fast ball, pa- sorry, pardon God. me, sports ball player, sports ball <laughs> that brought weed into a foreign country on an international flight, traded for arms dealer. And right. I just think there's this is a massive win for Putin. There's no oh, way yeah. it's not like all the U.S. got out of it was we can now say we brought back our basketball player who was absolutely rightfully jailed by violating law, sim, laws that are similar to laws we have in the United States. Mm-hmm. If she was bringing weed vape into another airport in the United States rather than an airport in Russia, she would also have been jailed. Yep. So, okay, the only reason to get her back is similar. I mean, I, if I'm being logically insistent, when we traded Taliban guys to get Bergdahl back, I had similar issues with that. The overall idea is that the that we look after our own, and if you're going to be in jail, you should be in jail in the United States as American citizen rather than our foreign country. That's a very understandable thing. I mm-hmm. think that American citizens that get arrested abroad, the United States should work on getting them back in the United States. Even if they have to go to jail here, there are people, we should get them back. But the idea that we are going to, say, trade a bunch of t- of guys in Guantanamo Bay that we agreed are were bad dudes we don't want in Afghanistan, trading them for Bergdahl? I don't know. Trading a guy who's so super duper bad, a Russian arms dealer who's so bad we put him in prison, trading them for Brittany Griner? That's where this starts to fall apart for me because it shows that the administration is not operating on a pragmatic level. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge win for Putin. If we are saying, like, Putin's such a bad, awful, terrible guy, why did we just give Putin an enormous hometown win? He can now say, I brought back this Russian citizen who was unfairly in jail in the United States, just like Joe Biden can say, but also now can essentially use it as leverage to say, and I got the stupid Americans to give me back this guy for their dumb sports ball player who who had weed. I just, it's, it, it's such a bizarre trade that I wonder if there is not something bigger behind it that we, that is not being discussed. It's like, oh, okay, did Russia agree to give back Brittany Griner for Victor Blout and have a secret agreement with the United States to go easy on Ukraine? Or was part of the deal, Russia gives back Brittany Griner, U.S. gives it Victor Blout, and in secret, Russia, like, you know, the United States agrees to not send an, a sh- another shipment of weapons to Ukraine or something along those lines. Or it it feels on its face like such a bizarre trade. It al- I almost wonder if there has to be some more covert component of the deal behind this. Well, but even if there were, certainly it doesn't look like the Biden administration was coming from a position of strength. It certainly doesn't, which because is why it seems so strange. You're you're trading the Lord of War. For those of you yeah. who don't know, there there was a movie that was made about Victor Blout, and it's uh, starring Nicolas Cage, and it's called Lord of War. That yeah, really cool movie, Fun actually. Movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah, like uh, like Colleen saying here on the chat, they they made a movie about him. <laughs> like they made yeah. a movie about this guy. Now, understand, like. Like that that's a pretty prolific figure, right? Um you couldn't get two Americans back? Seriously? You couldn't get Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner back? That's a pretty good win 
if you're the Biden administration. I mean, there is um, something to be said for Victor Blout wasn't really all that important to Russia. Oh, no, well, uh, of course. But like you could try, you know what I mean? Like you could you could have that conversation of like, dude, seriously, like you have Paul Whelan that you've arrested under charges of espionage. But like, what was he really doing and, you know, spying or whatever? You have this other person that you picked up on drug charges and you're asking like. You're asking the trade of arms dealer who's like a super bad dude, you know, or, or what have you. You could have a very logical, lack of a better term, a man to man conversation about that, where obviously like I think a two for this guy makes a lot of sense. But in reality, what you're seeing and the reason why it doesn't make any sense, that there's nothing dubious. There's no smoke filled room. There's no lobbying. There's none of this, none of this crazy stuff going on. Brittany Griner isn't somehow super special and we're all just missing it. The reality is, is that what you're seeing is the Biden administration was desperate and bent over a barrel by Vladimir Putin because Biden is weak. And let me explain why. Hmm. When Brittany Griner got arrested in Russia, it was obviously around the time of the Ukraine invasion. And so at that time, all of the libs and everybody were all part of, they just got their newest update for the current thing of virus and, you know, had it implanted in their brain. And Brittany Griner was turned into a symbol by the Democrat party and by the media and by the elites. She became the symbol for what we were fighting against in Russia because she's black, because she's gay, because she's a woman. She's the perfect emblem of democracy. It like if we could there could be a celebrity marriage between her and Zelensky, but let's make it polyamorous and throw like a disabled black transgender woman in there too because that would just be the best Netflix special ever. She became a symbol for what for getting shit libs to get super excited over a war because remember they're supposed to be against war that was the normal thing for the longest time is war is bad and we're all one nation or we're all one race the human race blah 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 and borders don't matter so right. to get them excited about this war you get to point out how vladimir putin's this big bad guy and look at how mean he is to the gay black woman and it's because those are the kinds of people that russia hates just like the trump supporters right and so that's what happened they made her this massive celebrity and made her this symbol now they're like well obviously we have to get her released to show ourselves as a victory and they go to Russia and they're like, Russia, we need to get our citizen back. Like, we need to talk. We need to sit down and have a discussion. And Russia, I almost guarantee, sat there and went, okay, give us Victor Blout. That wouldn't be much of a win, would it? Like, we're going to trade you random WNBA star that none of your citizens actually knew about before you made this such a big story. And you're going to give us the Lord of War. Are you willing to make that trade? Because guess what Russia knew when these discussions started? What's that? How much the media and the Democrat Party made a celebrity of Brittany Griner. Yeah. They knew it. So let's make the United States do something completely ridiculous because it's on them. Like... If Russia never got Victor Blot back, does Russia care that much? Probably not. 
Probably not. Probably not. But the Biden administration had to get Brittany Griner back because they made her a symbol of democracy and what what the hell ever. They made her a symbol. So they had to get her back. So they're willing mm-hmm. to basically do anything for it. And Russia called the bluff. And the other problem is, well, I guess the other issue about it too is not not only did they make that kind of trade, but we'll get into the propaganda value they're getting out of it in a second, but not only did they make that kind of trade, they did it for somebody who actually actively hates this country. Yeah. Like this person hates the United States. Brittany Griner hates the U.S. She talks about it being racist and bigoted and terrible, and it's an awful just garbage country and and what the hell ever. Also, she wasn't like accidentally in Russia. She was actively playing in a basketball league there, which is fine. But to be fair, everybody, this is one of the reasons why you don't say dumb shit about countries that your citizens are allowed to go to. Because these kinds of things happen. This is why you don't start proxy wars. Because this kind of shit happens. This was entirely unavoidable if Joe Biden and his administration weren't more obsessed with what is being able to be posted on Twitter and headlines and dumb shit like that than they were about actually like running a logical country that cares about itself and its and its own preservation. Right. Like these things don't happen unless you're more obsessed with the headline and I don't know, for lack of a better term, the marketing aspect of things than like the actual efficacy of your decisions. Because mm-hmm. there's a correlation here that I'm going to paint. And Alan, you're welcome to tell me if I'm being stupid here. But this is exactly the same logic that was used that screwed up the Afghan withdrawal. Joe mm-hmm. Biden's administration was more obsessed with getting every getting all of the troops in Afghanistan out by September 11th than they were about doing it properly or correctly. Agreed. It was about being able to say, no more troops are here on the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Oh, and I would I would also add Trump's original, that it was also to um, thumb the nose at Trump. Trump initially ordered the military to be out of Afghanistan by the, what was it, March, April, May, April? I right, think it was something right, right. like, like, it was basically the start of the fighting season. Mm-hmm. Like the month the fighting season started, he orders, Trump said, that is when we are pulling out of Afghanistan. And then Joe Biden intentionally, talking to people that were in the military, said there were a lot of discussions about why we need to stay and why we can't possibly pull out on Trump's timeline and why we have to do this and that. And I think a lot of it was the administration saying, no, Trump, just because Trump wanted to leave, then we're going to do something different. And we're going to leave a big embassy and we're going to leave this. I think they, I think that regardless of, of all that, the Afghan withdrawal was a catastrophe specifically because the Biden administration took the actions to make it a catastrophe. The one that is totally unforgivable is abandoning Bagram Air Force Base in favor of before you close the embassy, before you pulled all the people out, mm-hmm. pull the embassy back to Bagram for the last month it's there, and then leave. I mean, there's a lot of failures in Afghanistan. 
But the idea that we were going to close Bagram Air Force Base before we got out all of our people. Now, maybe you would say, okay, we, we're going to maintain an embassy and maintain these things because the Afghan government for sure isn't going to collapse in the next two months. <laughs> maybe we're going to maintain who could, that. But who could have guessed? while we were still, the United States and our foreign allies were still loading huge flights and cargo planes full of people and equipment out of country when we closed Bagram, the biggest, most well-appointed air, air base in the country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely ridiculous. You would, you, it, it's an unforgivable strategic mistake that I don't know who was in charge of, but I'm not even a general, and I knew that that was ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, uh, consistently, there's all of these situations where, like, something super obvious happens, and then the administration's yeah. like, who could have known? Who could have possibly known? And it was like, dude, yeah. I'm just some guy. And I yeah. I guessed that this was going to happen. Yeah, it's like, I'm just some dude that thinks about stuff for maybe just a little bit. And I go, wow, it really seems like if I was going to leave a country, I would maybe abandon everything else in country. But I would leave my one giant logistical hub <laughs> airbase with the best runways in an extremely defensible position. I would hold on to that until the very last second. Yeah, like, I'm not a policy analyst, but I have a feeling that when you start pulling people back, Afghanistan's going to kind of fall into, uh, you know, into disarray, and the Taliban's likely going to make a real push, a uh, real push to take it back over. And then yeah. you have people like John Kirby and and all of these other administrators be like, who could have seen? You had the fucking Secretary of Defense be like, we could not have possibly seen this coming. Oh, you couldn't? I I hadn't I have not been in Afghanistan for now to up to over ten years, and I could have told you that was going to happen. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm laughing about it. But years like, ago, when I was in that, when we were leaving Afghanistan in what would have been 2014, 2013. I if you would ask me how long is Afghanistan going to last when the U.S. leaves, even then I would have said unless something drastically changes, the Afghan gov government falls within weeks. Yeah. And lo and behold, nothing changed for the next seven years. <laughs> we didn't reorient policy. We didn't change things. Nothing happened for seven years. And then we pulled out and lo and behold, the Afghan government collapsed within weeks. And I remember during the entire summer of 2020, constantly hearing, reading and hearing about giant Taliban victory here, giant Taliban victory here, and Afghan security forces completely pull out of this province. They, like, they retook Kandahar, the entire province of Kandahar, and we still went ahead with closing Bagram. Now that, that to me is what makes it inevitable. If you said in the the initial timeline, we have so much confidence in the Afghan government that we feel we can close this giant airbase and move everything out through the civilian airport in Kabul. I could maybe understand a case for that. Mm -hmm. The problem is the Taliban was resurgent and rampaging through the countryside and taking entire provinces. And then you said, you know what, instead of reorienting our plan and maybe we'll just leave our giant most defensible base in place for like two more months you went nah nah i'm sure the afghan security forces will rally tomorrow and defeat the taliban and we'll just like don't no need to change the plan anybody just keep going and we'll be out of here before september 11th well yeah see that and that's exactly it is we'll be out of here by september 11th um that's that's the end result here 
Um, I apparently left the call-in on, and Deb C may have accidentally hit a button, but I'm going to ask if she actually wants to come onto the show real quick and see if she has any comments. Nope, nope, she ran away. <laughs> I'll turn that off so they don't accidentally hit the button. Um, no, it, 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 it's the point is, at the end of the day, all of this was in everything that you said culminates to we we need to be out by September 11th because that's the good headline. That's the good marketing strategy, guys. You know, that's that's going to that's going to pull real well with the millennials or you know, whatever, whatever logic that they used. That's why they did it. And it's the same thing for Brittany Griner. It's well, we'll get Brittany Griner back and it'll make it'll make Biden look so big and super strong. It's funny because yeah. you made you made a comment about this when we were on our show prep call last night, which was it actually like interestingly, it sort of backfires because it also makes Putin look reasonable. Right. Like you were able to go sit down. Like it, it is an interesting thing if you really pulled a thread on it. So the United States was able to go sit down with um, you know, representatives of Putin's government, of the Russian government, and discuss with them a prisoner transfer. So, okay, well, that's neat. And though it's a semi-minor, you know, discussion point, why can't you do that with Ukraine? Very good point. So there, what you're saying is that there is a diplomatic door open for something as minor as a prisoner transfer. Why can't you guys be sitting down and having discussions about Ukraine and ending the war? Ending the suffering, ending the death of all of these, because that's what we always hear is every single week I'm inundated with all of this stuff about all the poor Ukrainians that are dying. And it's true, like war is hell and it's terrible. And the 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 people who are that always lose in war, regardless, are the civilians on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. There are innocent people that are going to get killed because that's what happens in a war. And we have almost innumerable power to make that stop. But the opinion right now, because I can't keep saying Twitter because of things have changed, but the mainstream media basically runs the opinion of the Biden administration, which is victory is the only opportunity that we have. And it's because you sold that to yourselves. The Biden administration took the opinion of, Russia can't have a a single win in Ukraine. So now we have to fight to the last Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but that's exactly it. Like there's zero way that they can come to some sort of accord because maybe it's something like, okay, the war will end, but uh, Donetsk and Luhansk now belong to Russia. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's a discussion. I understand where people say, well, but sovereignty and okay, fine. But what if that could be a peace treaty? What if that could be a peace treaty and the war would end and people would stop dying? Well, they can't do that because that would be a win for Russia and there can't be a win for Russia. So the only the only way that there could ever be peace in Ukraine is either Russia has to take over all of Ukraine and just make it to where they go, it's over because we're saying it's over and everybody who's going to fight us is dead. Or, yeah. or somehow... Ukraine beats back all of Russia. Yeah. What? That doesn't make sense. In the middle of winter? Like, uh, no. Not even in the middle of winter at all. 
at all. Yeah, that that never made sense. It was something really dumb. I, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, this is going to be exactly like uh, Iraq and Afghanistan for the United States. And I guess kind of Russia as well. Uh, this is going to be exactly like like it's going to become this they're going to get mired down in this terrible counterinsurgency in Ukraine and it's going to be a way we can just bleed Russia forever but in that scenario Ukraine loses like Ukraine even in their scenario Ukraine gets crushed by Russia and then they get to wage this basically shadow counterinsurgency war to bleed Russia dry like the United States was bled dry in Iraq and Afghanistan Right. I think even for the administration, it was the idea of Ukraine winning was never reality. They just said it because it helped drum up support. But it, like, did they ever seriously think Ukraine was going to stop Russia? It's only Russia choosing not to abuse the bulk of its military might on Ukraine that has prevented Ukraine from a wholesale collapse. Right. And there's and there's no argument about that. Absolutely none. The it's like 90% of the Russian military is is being withheld from operating inside Ukraine. If you, Russia wanted to, they would be able to crush Ukraine. They, however, are do not want to, possibly, let's say, best case scenario, because they are worried more about the United States and, and NATO aggression than they are about crushing Ukraine. But if they wanted to, they could, absolutely. I, I just is it's ridiculous that anybody ever thought Ukraine was going to win. They because you have to caveat that with America and NATO are going to provide so much threat to Russia actually winning in Ukraine that will allow Ukraine to stave off defeat. That's the win for Ukraine. You, the win for Ukraine that's only possible is staving off defeat because Russia doesn't want to get entangled with NATO. Right. But that's not going to happen. Because NATO has clearly signaled that it is not willing to put boots on ground overtly in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So I guess what we end with is it will be a simmering contest for a very long period of time. One that Russia can, it basically becomes a war of attrition at this point. It is a war of attrition. And Russia is able to absorb attritional losses in a way Ukraine never, ever would have, will be able to and never could have been able to. Ukraine was mass conscripting people and emptying prisons into the front lines in the first six months of the conflict. It months for Russia to even announce that it needed to raise to raise recruiting. Ukrainian tank units will be on the front line until they're dead, whereas Russian tank units will be on the front line and then can rotate back to safe areas because another entire tank division has been waiting inside Russia to take their place. Right. The inevitable, like, brutal calculus of war favors Russia in the long term, which is why dragging the war out as long as possible only ben it benefits Russia more than it benefits Ukraine. Right. So. Yeah, no, it's. It, that? It, it, yeah, it, it's it's a. It. it yeah, it's a it's a wild thing. Like it, it certainly is, and and I don't know. It's it's crazy just because because this has become such a dumb virtue signal. It's hard to even like 
people can't have these the people can't have a rational discussion about it because yeah it isn't even about the war it isn't even about strategy it's just another stupid virtue signal of i'm a good person because i support ukraine yes okay yep. yeah you're such exactly, a good person that's all it's ever been you're such a hero oh by the way do you know anything about like anything that's been going on in ukraine what i do know is that they're a symbol of democracy okay yeah <laughs> like, real dumb like okay i mean you know they did basically ban any speech and any opposition and you know all this other stuff but sure no person of the year the spirit of ukraine mm -hmm. oh person of the year my god yeah time times person of the year to a, in a shock to nobody i i i I either called it out on Twitter or on this program, but somewhere I like said like a month ago, like we all know who it's going to be is stupid that we even have the discussion. Um, but you know, in, in, in addition to all of that, it's just, yeah, it's all dumb. And the point is, is just sort of back to this whole prisoner transfer nonsense. It doesn't show the United States as being in a position of strength at all. Like at, really at all. And if you can sit there and have a discussion about a, you know, about some WNBA star that, you, you know, shits all over your country and was caught with weed, then you're kind of signaling that you could have a discussion that could end this war, but you're choosing not to yeah. for some dumb reason, even to the effect that there are reports coming out where people in Europe are starting to note that the only winner that's coming out of this conflict between Ukraine and Russia are U.S. defense contractors. Hmm. Curious. Funny how that works. Yeah, funny how that works. Funny how the Secretary of Defense was a board member of Raytheon, and Raytheon's just making money hand over fist. Uh, not just from Ukraine either, from the Ukraine and from the United States. Like, oh no, we shipped all... We Oh no, we wanted we shipped all of the javelin missiles in the US inventory uh to Ukraine. I guess we need another billion dollars to reap to make more for the US military. You have to be at least a little suspicious because so much of this is really, really ridiculous. And because we know how much Iraq and Afghanistan became uh, just money laundering from of tax dollars into the coffers of defense contractors who then donated to political campaigns of politicians. We mm -hmm. know that, that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. We have to at least be suspicious it's happening in Ukraine. And then you would look at the totality of how much equipment from around the world, military equipment, is being dumped into the meat grinder of Ukraine, seemingly almost with the intent for it to be destroyed. Hey, if it kills some Russians and weakens their military, all the better. But now every military across the Western world has had their arms inventories massively depleted. How likely is it in the next couple of years we're going to see, oh no, the rise of China is super scary. We need massive defense spending bills to rebuild our military buying the most brand new expensive equipment from all of these companies because, oh no, we suddenly don't have enough in the inventory to stave off China. Wow, all of our armored fighting vehicles that we had sitting around uh, as surplus in inventory, we sent to Ukraine. Oh no, now we need to buy brand new ones from General Dynamics. Oh boy, all those Sidewinder missiles that we had in a huge stockpile. We just dumped that stockpile into Ukraine with 
pretty much no accountability. We need to pay Raytheon a bazillion dollars to restart an entire production facility to build brand new ones. And while we're at it, we might as well adopt the latest and greatest AI-driven 3D printed model that costs twice as much. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that, regardless of how you feel about Ukraine, regardless of how you feel about Russian aggression, the expansion of NATO, etc., the reality of some people with a huge, with an outsized and enormous amount of pull in the political sphere of the Western world, all across these Western countries, very wealthy groups, individuals, companies, etc., are absolutely making in gigantic piles of money off of this conflict means you ha you have to be at least a little suspicious of everything you hear about the justifications for it. If someone said, if, if someone believed that Ukraine should have no Russians in it, it should it's a sovereign country, it was aggressed upon, that is understandable and fine. But that person still needs to acknowledge that there is an enormous financial benefit to essentially Western politicians to ensuring that the conflict in Ukraine continues as long as possible. Or that the situation in Ukraine was at least encouraged by the same people that are now making a huge amount of money off of it. It's similar to COVID. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe COVID was a natural phenomenon from a wet market or a escaped Chinese bioweapon. You have to acknowledge it is a verified fact that the response to COVID was one of the biggest wealth transfers in human history. That people that were responsible for talking about COVID relief and focusing on all of that, all of that made billions and billions and billions of dollars. So even if you want to feel like COVID was this big, scary thing, and you know, that's understandable, but you cannot argue that the people that were responsible for telling me to be afraid about COVID also were making billions off me being afraid of COVID. Right. The people telling me that we need to support you, democracy in Ukraine are making billions of dollars off this effort to ensure democracy in Ukraine. And that means that they're, that means that the establishment's narrative, because they are benefiting so financially so much from these things, their narrative has to be viewed with extreme suspicion. Mm -hmm. Does Joe Biden seriously care about democracy in Ukraine? Maybe. Does Pfizer seriously care about the health of all of every American? Maybe. But they are both making billions of dollars off of this war and facilitating all their friends making billions of dollars off of these issues. And so what they say about the issues ha is, is suspect because there is such a clear conflict of interest. The yeah. American politicians have a conflict of interest when it comes to Ukraine because they take kickbacks from the defense industry. Pfizer yeah. has a conflict of interest when it comes to COVID hysteria because it is making money off the vaccine. And yeah, you have to admit those conflicts of interest or else you are a malicious liar. Yeah, we're allowed to be skeptical. Right. No, it's not allowed. It's that being skeptical of these things is the default position. And asking me not to be skeptical of these things is something only people that are ignorant or malicious would want to do. Which brings right. us back to Twitter. Was Twitter <laughs> taking money from Pfizer to shut down discussion of COVID? Was Twitter taking money 
from the Democrat Party to shut down discussions of election integrity? Mm -hmm. Is Twitter being influenced by any of the activists that are taking money from these groups? That is it. There is such a conflict of interest here that I have to wonder how deep this goes. Well, I would not put it past any of these entities to feel like they could buy off Twitter so that Twitter would make sure that the, the only discussions in the public sphere were on their terms. Right. They have well, the money and, and, to do it. They have the influence to do it. And they have the liberal narrative to support all of it with, with ideological um, morality. Well, and at the same time, you know, um, there obviously was a push, whether or not money, <clears throat> sorry, whether or not money needed to change hands. I mean, yeah. perhaps it did, you know, Maybe. but like, did it need to, because they were all on the same page. They were all in agreement. I don't even know if you had to pay anybody to do it. You just had to, right. you know, the smart people all think this and then everybody, you know, the, the mind virus took over. Um, Definitely. But, but at, at, at the same time, it's interesting because now one thing that we have to acknowledge is the left wing kind of lost a weapon when Elon Musk took over Twitter, at least in some sense, mm -hmm. um, because they're not able to weaponize the way that they did. They don't, they don't, there's no direct line to the executive staff to be able to manipulate things like it, like they used to have. Which makes things more interesting because like you brought up elect election integrity and it's a decent enough segue into another story, which is that Carrie Lake, the candidate that was running for governor in Arizona, has filed a lawsuit and has a lot of documentation behind cybersecurity experts that are saying that all of the failures that had, that occurred in Arizona when it came to um what was it 30% of their machines being down something um like that something ridiculous absolutely ridiculous they have a couple of cybersecurity experts that are stating like look and by the way just so you're aware these are cybersecurity experts who had worked on certifying those specific machines prior to the election so that's where these people have been working and they they, there are statements, sworn affidavits that are in the lawsuit where these experts are saying there is zero way that all of this failure happened without there being some, some sort of direct influence. Now, that could be stupidity. They didn't say that it was directly mm -hmm. malicious, but it took human interaction for those failures to occur. In other words... All of those machines were certified and then somebody did something that caused them to fail at that high of a percentage. Whether or not that was intentional is left up to debate. But what sure. is not left up to debate according to the two experts that are in this lawsuit is something had to have been changed for all of these machines to fail. Now, understand that same day vote or like, yeah, election day votes swung three to one in Carrie Lake's favor. So anyone who was affected by polls, not being able to take people, people who didn't want to stand in line and leave and all of these other things, anyone who was affected by that was a, a far greater likelihood, 75%, far greater likelihood that that person was going to vote for Carrie Lake. So if we were to take the liberal narrative that we saw in 2018 
which was that people standing in line waiting to vote is a violation of their human rights. Oh no. Remember? That was the that was the entire thing. Fulton County, Georgia, people had to stand in line. Now granted they had to stand in line like all night, but they had to stand in line to go vote in Fulton County, Georgia, which is where uh, Atlanta is. This was a human rights violation. They screamed at the sky over this for months. In fact, it was the reason why Stacey Abrams refused to concede the election. Now they're saying, that's stupid. Uh, you're dumb. Don't talk about it. Election denier. Interesting how that works. It is. Like, fascinating how that seems to turn around. And at the same time, you don't have Twitter influencing journalists because I, I don't. I, I know I've said this on the program before, but for those of you who might be new to the program, ninety-nine percent of journalism in America for like the last five years has been people looking at Twitter and then writing about what they saw. Just so you're aware, it is not a difficult thing that these um, that these journalists have been engaging in. They've just basically been scrolling Twitter while taking their morning dump and then writing a couple of stories about stuff they saw on it. Um, that's been journalism in America for five or six years. So, but unfortunately now that they don't have the grasp on Twitter, like they used to, um, it's entirely possible that now that there's an election integrity lawsuit, that's going in front of a judge, that judge might not be as influenced as it was in 2020, because of course my initial reaction was, oh, cool. You're filing a lawsuit. Well, that was super successful in 2020 even though there were literally people who were walking up with addresses and going, we went to every single one of these addresses that's registered as a voter. And there's not even a house there. There's not even a building there. It's an overpass. And judges were like, well, we're not even going to entertain the idea that this election might be weird. Yeah, that was really strange. And maybe it'll happen again, but maybe it won't. Maybe. It, I mean, it's really hard to know with this stuff. Both of these things are going to be good. And let me explain why. If a judge doesn't take up the case, we now know what we cannot depend on. I mean, I would like to think we should have known that by 2020, but the Republican Party can be slow. So Indeed. we now know that come 2024, you have to fight that day. There's no win the fight later. You know, there's no lose this battle to win the war. It's just not going to happen. If you don't win the day of the election, like if you are not stomping your feet and getting like making sure that everything, every, you know, I, I is dotted and T is crossed and everything is great. The day of the election, you're fucked. Like we now know that. Like if this, if this lawsuit gets thrown out, we now know that. We now know that it is impossible. You literally have to win the election prior to the election, the day of the election, because it is impossible for you to win it in the courts. The courts are not on your side. There is not a justice system that gives a shit about election integrity. There is not a justice system that is willing to stick its neck out to ensure that people's votes actually matter. It will not happen. They are or more the afraid. Very, or at the very worst, you have to recognize that there is not time to go to the courts. I mean, it's this twofold thing where you have to recognize that there are people trying to subvert the voting system mm -hmm. and there also is not and you also have to run up against a judici judiciary that is unreliable at best. Right. It's just that, um, yeah, it, it, 
and I, I think that to kind of go into a, another another kind of story of what's going on is Ronna Romney McDaniel is facing a challenge to be the uh, head of the Republican National Committee, and she is facing that challenge from Harmeet Dillon. And I think after a after twenty eighteen midterms that were questionable and a little suspect. And then the 2020 election and now the 2022 midterms, I I think that it is a good time for us to sit down and say the way the Republican Party has been doing things is has not been successful. And also, like for I think I speak for a majority of our audience, the fact that the establishment GOP has basically abandoned us continually throughout these issues. The 2020 election was maybe you don't think it's it was stolen, but it was suspicious as hell, and you basically spit on everyone that mentioned it. But then you raised yeah. money off of it, which is fascinating. Very strange. But I think that there needs to be a leadership change. I don't personally care that much about the inner operations of the party, except for where it affects me at the ballot box and where it affects me, you know, at how things are done in my country. But I, I definitely think that if, if you are one of those people that gets to have a vote when it comes to who runs the Republican party, like if you're one of those chair people or delegates or whatever the hell they call them, um, Honestly, if you tell me that you don't think the leadership in the RNC needs to change, I think you need to go too, because you're obviously an idiot or there's something I don't know. Maybe Ronna Romney McDaniel is making you all a bunch of money and you don't care about how successful or unsuccessful the actual party is. I'm still very confused by the idea that people could just be bought off. It has to be the only... if. Looking at the current situation in the United States, I have to come to the conclusion that the left will not stop until there is absolutely no capability for any kind of opposition to its policies. And that is that means that if you are in opposition to those policies, even a little bit, there is nothing that taking money in order to, you know, allow them to win, it, there's no there's a bad return on investment there. And I just, that's what, that's what doesn't make sense to the, oh, they're just getting paid off. Either they're actively subversive Mm -hmm. and want the Democrats to win because they want the world that the Democrats are going to create, or they're so ignorant of the threat the Democrats pose. Uh, Either way, I just can't understand why the Republican party is not fighting harder against an enemy that is doing everything it possibly can to prove to the Republicans that it is an existential threat. Right. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's at this level where you're not allowed to be, you're not allowed to be this ignorant anymore. You just, you just don't, you shouldn't have been this ignorant two, three years ago. So understand that we're being judicious when we're allowing you to still be this stupid. But at mm-hmm. this point now, no, you don't get to be this dumb. And, spe- and to be fair, I mean, part of this is because of how bad Joe Biden is. Like, you seriously can't win against that guy? Like, the dude seriously doesn't even have a brain in his head. Yeah. Like, you lost the Senate when you lost a Senate seat to a guy who had had a stroke. Yeah, right? Isn't that ridiculous? 
you lost the presidency to a guy who has dementia. Like you're not exuding what I would define as confidence. Yeah. So, but to that effect, another interesting thing on politically that I want to, uh, I'm not trying to throw cold water on people, but Kristen Cinema came out. She's the Democrat uh, Senator from Arizona. She came out and said that she is going to go independent. She's no longer going to be a member of the Democrat party. And a bunch wow. of people tried to celebrate and I'm not really Stunning sure why. And brave. <laughs> uh, because <clears throat> let me remind you, Bernie Sanders is also an independent. How's that working? Um, I know a lot of people have constantly tried to make Kristen cinema and, um, uh, uh, mansion, um, heroes somehow, except I've consistently on this program and other places asked if they're so great and if they're so wonderful, why are they still Democrats? Because I've had people yeah. like, I've had people message me, be like, well, that Joe Manchin, he's doing great stuff. No, he's not. He's still a Democrat. If he truly believed, if he believed the things that you think he believes, he wouldn't be in the Democrat party anymore. Yet he is. Now, does it change the balance of power in the Senate? Not really. No, it doesn't. Because she's going to caucus with the Democrats. Most of her votes are going to be Democrat. There might be some that she doesn't, that, that aren't. Let me explain to you why she went independent, though. Because maybe you're interested in that. So Kristen Cinema went independent to save her own ass because come 2024, she is going to face re-election. Now, Arizona didn't do so hot as a blue state. In case y'all didn't know. Mm. Like, yeah, we're arguing over um we're we're arguing over the gubernatorial seat there and all this other stuff. Uh, that that's occurring, but they didn't do very well as far as it's not a solid Democrat, you know, uh, stronghold. So right. what Kristen Cinema is going to try to do and thinks that she might be able to be successful in doing is she's going to run as an independent and hope that that there's two ways to look at it. Either number one, she hopes that she'll get the majority of the vote because the Republicans have been stupid and have celebrated her as some like paragon of virtue on the Democrat Party because occasionally she votes for things we like, uh, mm -hmm. which I've always consistently said is stupid. So she thinks that maybe she'll get part of the Republican vote and that will equate to the Republican losing and the Democrat losing and she ends up the winner at like 32% or some nonsense like that. Or or I'm sorry, at 34% or whatever, however it divides up. Yeah. Um, or she is actively trying to split the Republican Party vote because maybe they run some other person that's maybe the never Trumpers start shitting all over or whatever. Some Republicans vote for Kristen Cinema, some Republicans vote for the Republican, but not enough vote for the Republican that the Democrat automatically wins. And this is all a big canard to make sure that Democrats keep the Senate seat and Kristen Cinema gets some cushy position somewhere that pays her a bunch of money. Yeah, mostly once a subversive, always a subversive. So I don't trust this cinema thing at all. Yeah, like, no, exactly. Like even if why... she is completely. So there is a chance she's completely honest. She's disgusted by the Democrats. She feels the same way you and I feel about the Democrats. Oh, that's wouldn't that be great? There is a chance that that is true. 
Mm -hmm. but it's not worth it. Like it's not worth any kind of support for for cinema comes the, with the, the possibility that she is actually doing this as a cynical political move for something for some other end. And why would we take that risk? There are plenty yeah. of good people in the Republican Party to support. So why care about cinema? Yeah. Why do I care about a Democrat when I could be supporting Republicans? Like, yeah. And but, it is funny because the same establishment people who crapped all over uh, certain Republican candidates, they celebrate Chris and cinema. So it's like, whose side are you on, man? I mean, it's nice to... If it's honest, it it is it is nice to see because it feels like your feelings are validated. I hate the Democrats. They're a bunch of jerks. They are bad for the country. Oh, and them other Democrats finally noticing. That does feel really good, and I can understand why there would be excitement over that. I think the excitement over that is is very justifiable. Inevitably, people are going to have to change their minds and stop being Democrats and stop supporting them. That has to happen at some point. Is that point now with high-level politicians? I don't think so. It's like, if my neighbor said that, I would be a lot more excited than seeing a politician with an entire media team saying that. Right. Or at least, no, I'm a, I, I get to be very wary that she's not being totally honest because she has a history of not being honest. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, don't get too excited, folks. You know, this doesn't save anything. This is yeah. a Democrat who's going to continue to vote Democrat, except for occasionally when she doesn't. Now, if it was a Democrat and, that, say, left the Democrat Party and became an ardent supporter of maybe the Republican Party, like a, a, a Trump America first sort of thing, maybe that would be such a break. I would view it a little differently. Like if, if Chris Sinema left the Democrat Party saying, I... I just real I saw what I saw from the Democrats in the 2020 election is absolutely vile. These people, we are a, the day are a threat to liberty. If it was absolutely hardline anti-Democrat, then maybe right. I'd trust it. But if it's this, oh, I'm just an independent now, ha ha. Forgive my skepticism. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm allowed to be skeptical here, and I'm allowed to question it. And you're an idiot if you think. It, you're an idiot if you think somehow this equates to some like big giant strategic win because it really just doesn't. Yet, yet. I mean, eventually we are going to see things like this where Democrats change their change the change their side, abandon the Democrat Party. That is an inevitability, and that is what is going to look like when we start to win. I, however, right. am skeptical of the first few people that do that because it is politically expedient for them to do it rather than I think a genuine change of opinion. Right. I agree. But I mean, I wanted to make sure that I got that comment out. Uh, so people kind of understood it and make sure that they, you know, I, I wanted people to know that we didn't miss it. We were just, uh, you know, there's more important things than what Chris and cinema is up to. And, and as, as a lot of people know, I'm not a huge fan of her anyway, so that it is just what it is. And, but we'll we'll probably discuss it further because more is going to come out, obviously, heading into the new Congress. But that's going to have to be it for today. Uh, we'll definitely see you guys next week. Be sure to go to subscribestar.com forward slash radio and become a subscriber uh, where it's only $2.99 a month and you can support this program. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm out from the West Coast. This is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week. Yeah.